Good morning, City of Hope Church. It's so good to be with you again this morning in your living rooms for Sunday service at home. Uh, we've got had a lot of good things actually happening at the church here recently. We've uh, found out that uh, two different couples are pregnant, and we just had a new baby. It just brought Michaela and Tanner Hayes just brought a new baby into the world. So we've got a lot of things uh, to celebrate, and I hope everything has been going well with you and your family through all of this crisis that we're now dealing with. Obviously, it's a difficult time, but we know that the Lord is with us and we've got a reason to celebrate. Uh, before we get into the message this morning, I want us to pray together. Uh, I was encouraged earlier. I watched a video. Uh, President Trump was addressing um, people throughout the world uh, for Easter Sunday, and he actually uh, quoted a scripture from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, he quoted verse 2 and 3 that says, "...that darkness shall cover the earth." And deep darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. And he, he talked about how that America has always looked to the light of the Lord in difficult situations. And it's just encouraging to me to know that, uh, that on some level God is not just working on people's hearts throughout the world, but he's, he's working on people's hearts in high levels of leadership. And the truth is right now we need uh, God to move in a miraculous way in our nation. There's, there's a lot of, of big things ahead with our leaders that they need to make decisions and we need to be praying for our leaders and our, our, govern, our, our government, our governor, our president, those who are making decisions. We need to be in prayer. So, so what I want us to do is just, I want us to pray for the church. I want us to pray for our homes. I want us to pray that God would invade and speak to us this morning, but that he would also move in our nation. He would bring people to him and he would bring restoration and healing and recovery on multiple levels. So if you would, just bow your head with me where you're at and let's pray before we get into the message. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful because we know that you are in control even when we don't understand. And we, we know that God, when we say you're in control, that does not mean that you're causing bad things to happen. I don't believe that everything that's going on is, is you're doing, but I do believe, God, that ultimately you have authority over all things and nothing passes through your hand without you understanding and knowing the end game for everything. And so, Lord, we speak peace right now into every heart that's listening, into every home. We pray for a release of your presence and for your spirit uh, just to open our hearts and our minds this morning. But God, we pray also, we pray for the church, God, because your word says that when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, that the glory of the Lord shall rise over us, Lord God, and, and your light shall be upon us and Gentiles shall come to the brightness of that rising. And so we pray, God, for our government leaders. Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom and that you would give them the light of your glory, that you would give them direction. Direction, Father, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would push back the powers of darkness because we know that the enemy has an agenda in all of this, in this entire situation, but God's agenda is greater. And we come into agreement, God, with your agenda over our lives, over our nation, over our state, Lord, over our community. We say, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we ask you to bring healing. We ask you to work repentance in the hearts of the people of our nation, Lord, that we would turn to you. God, that we would worship you, Lord Jesus, and that you would bring healing into our land. Lord, we love you, and we're grateful for the peace and the presence that you bring to us. And so we just open our hearts to you this morning, God, and we ask that you would speak to us, God. You would transform us by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to speak to you this morning. The title of my message is 
a new gardener. And as I open it up, you'll understand more about why I'm calling it a new gardener. But last week, obviously, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about how that really the resurrection means that the worst thing that happens is never the last thing. The worst thing that could happen is never the last thing. That's what resurrection means. And that, that comforts me to know that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we understand that he has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered hell in the grave. He has risen victoriously and he's given us the promise and the hope of eternal life. He has forgiven us of our sins. He has sent the Holy Spirit into our lives so that no matter how difficult this world gets, we have an ability to overcome in him. But you know, if I, if I was Jesus... Uh, last week, I talked about what I might do if I had just risen from the dead as, as Lord of all creation. But if I was Jesus, I would probably at least take a day off after I'd conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. But what I love about Jesus is that in the midst of one of the darkest times in the disciples that, he, that followed him in their lives, he didn't take a day off. As a matter of fact, and he, he didn't go into the Colosseum to confront Caesar or do anything dramatic, but yet he reached out to his disciples to speak to them, to meet them in their point of need, to, to, to deal with their fears, to deal with their doubts, to deal with their pains, to deal, deal with their questions. He went to love them. And I think right now we need to understand that God is doing that. Now, Jesus... We know according to Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 that after he was, he was risen from the dead and after he was raised from the dead, he, he went about and the Scripture says that he appeared to several different groups of people and at least one time he appeared to a group of 500 people at once. So people were seeing him and he was demonstrating to, to them clearly that I am who I said I am. I am risen from the dead. What I've said to you is true and I'm coming to teach you some things to prepare you for what you have ahead of you and, and the task that my Father is going to send before you. Now when Jesus Jesus abolishes death and brings that victory and, and, and is risen from the grave. See, he appears to several different people to deal with them where they're at at their point of need. And I believe that right now Jesus wants to deal with you where you're at at your point of need. And the first person that Jesus encounters is a woman named Mary. And here's what the scripture says in John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. It says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now this is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament because where Jesus had lain, there was, a, there was an angel on each side and the Ark of the Covenant, there was a mercy seat in the middle and on each side there was a cherubim as if to say that Jesus Christ is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the presence of God that that Ark represented. There's a new covenant in Christ and He is that mercy seat. And these angels, they begin to speak to her and they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, notice that, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, Mary goes to the tomb and she's weeping. She's distraught. She's confused. This woman had been with Jesus uh, since he had set her free and, and delivered her and spoke, spoke life into her and freed her from the powers of darkness. She knew Jesus. She had hoped in Jesus. She believed he was the Messiah. She believed he was the Son of God. But she goes to the tomb and she's dealing with pain. She's dealing with confusion. She's weeping. And these angels appear to her and say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And of course, she's weeping because she believes that Jesus is dead. She believes that all hope is gone. Her pain is settling into her and, and all of a sudden then Jesus appears to her and it's interesting because over and over again when Jesus appeared to his disciples and to Mary, it's almost as if their eyes were veiled. They did not quite see that it was Jesus. There was something hidden from them, veiled from them, where they, did, they couldn't see the spiritual reality of him and his glorified body and their eyes were hidden. And she, she, she looks at Jesus and she's weeping and Jesus again says to her a second time, why are you weeping? But the second time, he puts another question on it. He says, why are you weeping? And then he says, whom are you seeking? Now, the truth is, a lot of times I think we weep because we are going through challenges. We're going through difficulties. And right now, you need to understand that whatever kind of difficulties you're going through, pain, loss, whatever it is, God has given us the ability and the gift of grief and mourning in order to heal, in order to be able to recover from the pain that we suffer. And so it's important that we do grieve. It's important that we lament. God put in the Bible a book called Lamentations for a Purpose. A good majority of the Psalms that we read are Psalms of lament because the Scripture says, Jesus said that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's something that happens in our lives when we recognize this world is broken. Things are not the way that we are, they, are, they should be. And it's okay for us to mourn. It's okay for us to weep. But I think in Mary's specific uh, place here, she's weeping for uh, based on something that's in her heart that is not even true. And that's why they're coming. They're asking her, why are you weeping? Because it could be possible that you're weeping, that you're upset, that you are angry and you're dealing with all these emotions over something that may or may not be true. And a lot of times Satan comes in and he instills these lies. He's telling her, no doubt, that your hope is gone. It's finished. He's dead. You might as well give it up. You may give it, you might as well give it a rest because what you thought is never going to happen. Your hopes are shattered. Everything is gone. It's broken. And those lies begin to infiltrate her. But see, Jesus is saying, you know what? Why are you weeping? And if so, who is it? That you're seeking. Sometimes when we're broken, I think we seek the wrong things and we get confused. And Jesus is saying, I know you're going through a difficult time right now, but your weeping may be for the wrong reasons. Jesus is trying to plant some kind of a new seed into our lives. He's trying to give us the ability to see his goodness at work in the midst. And what he's saying is, I'm asking you right now, who are you seeking? Because I can come in, I can bring an end to that weeping, I can bring an end to those tears, I can bring healing and restoration, and I can show you that what's going on right now, you think it's bad, but it's not near as bad as you think it is because I am at work sowing seeds of resurrection life, even in the darkest tombs and in the darkest gardens of your life. And what I love about this, this is why I'm calling it a new gardener, is because it says that she supposed Jesus was the gardener. Now again, I, when I read the Bible, I know and I assume 
that nothing is in there just by coincidence or happenstance. If she assumes he's the gardener, it's in there for a reason. And what you have to understand is that everything started in a garden called Eden. Eden was a place, the, the, the Hebrew word for Eden, it meant literally pleasure. It was a place of paradise. And God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in this garden and he said, look, you all are going to have to tend this garden to make sure no evil or no enemy comes into this garden to, to sow any kind of a bad seed or to, to mess with your fruitfulness. And you're going to have to cultivate it. You're going to have to learn how to grow love and grow peace and grow joy and, and, and cultivate this life so that the world around you as you steward it looks like heaven and as, as you reflect God's nature. We were designed to reflect God and in so doing make the earth around us reflect heaven. That was the mandate that they were given. But the problem is, is they did not cultivate that garden. Adam was the first gardener and he failed to grow and tend and protect that garden. And an enemy came in and planted a seed, a lie that infected all of humanity and thorns and thistles and weeds grew up in that garden. Hatred and fear and violence and anxiety and sin and sickness and death infected that garden. And that's the, the garden that we're in. Now Jesus comes and he dies in the midst of that. He suffers, he takes our sin, our sickness, our death, all of our pain, all of those things. And he is planted into this garden and he is risen from the grave. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, though, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it shall bring forth much fruit. And see, sometimes in our darkest hours is when Jesus is planting new seeds of new life, resurrection life. And I believe right now, if we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, even though it looks crazy, it looks confusing, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, in our midst, Jesus is planting new seeds of resurrection life if we have ears to hear and if we have eyes to see. She supposes he's the gardener and I'm telling you right now that Jesus Christ is the new gardener. He is the last Adam and he comes where Adam failed to tend that garden. He says, I want to cultivate the garden in your heart. I want to bring love, peace and joy and right now if you'll allow me to I will sow seeds of resurrection life in a garden where it seems like there's only death, there's only emptiness, there's only sorrow and I can uproot those, those weeds of bitterness and fear and resentment and all of the things that, that you're dealing with. Now, the first thing in your notes that I want you to put down is that just what we said, Jesus is the new gardener. He's not like Adam who failed to tend the garden or, or even our own lives. We failed to tend the garden of our hearts. We failed to keep all of those fears and anxieties out. But Jesus says, I want to come and I want to uproot those things. And Jesus is the new gardener cultivating his kingdom within us. Now notice she says to the angels, she says, they, they've taken away my Lord. They have taken him away. She feels this great sense of loss. She feels like something has been taken from her. And I, I believe that right now people are going through a season in life where they feel like they have suffered tremendous loss and maybe even feel like things have been taken from them. I know students feel like maybe um, I, I, we talk a lot about graduating seniors. They, they feel like a season has been taken from them or a special moment in life. Parents feel like something has been lost with their children. People are losing businesses. People are losing money. They feel like things have been taken from them. And she was feeling this same way. It feels like we're losing time. We've lost a measure of our life. Maybe even our plans for the future, the way that we had our, life, our lives ordered and, and mapped out, it feels like maybe that's being stripped from us. And when we think about the future, we're wondering if our plans are even going to pan out anymore. And the scripture says in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, 
It is a tree of life. And so many hopes, I believe, have been deferred. They've been set aside. People are struggling with the fact that, that, that hope is no longer there for them. And, 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 and the scripture says that it makes the heart sick. There's increased anxiety. And people right now, we just don't know what the future holds. Our hope has been set aside. But it's as the song says, we may not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And what we have is the promise of a God who says, no matter what you go through, no matter what you deal with, I am there with you. And there's nothing that is passing through your life that I did not foresee. And I'm there providentially with all of the provision that you need to speak to you, to help you, to be with you, and to lead you and guide you in the direction that you need to go. See, Mary enters a garden where there's nothing but confusion and loss. And Jesus brings resurrection life into that garden to plant new seeds of hope. And I don't know how he's going to do it. But I believe right now that if we can pray, if we can receive from God, that he is going to plant new seeds of hope, new seeds of life in the midst of one of the greatest times of darkness that, that our nation and our world has ever faced, at least in our generation. And so... During this time, you want to be open. But just like Jesus, I believe right now, just the same way that he asked Mary, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Over those 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he was appearing to people. He was dealing with people. And just as we've just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, we're in a dark time. But I believe Jesus wants to reveal himself to people right where they are at. And if we will seek him now, he's going to bring new life. He's going to plant new seeds of life in our hearts. Secondly, in your notes, see if Jesus is the new gardener planting his kingdom in our hearts and in our lives, then the second thing or, or the first thing that he plants, the second in your notes, is Jesus is planting seeds of healing. Now, Mary, when he's dealing with her, the thing that you have to understand about Mary, Mary Magdalene and also Jesus' mother Mary, and there was actually a third Mary that was at the feet of Jesus around the cross while he was on that cross. And it's interesting because the name Mary comes from the Hebrew Mara, which means bitterness or rebellion. And it comes from the fact that Israel came out of Egypt and the first place that they came to when they came out of Egypt and out of their bondage was they came to a place called Mara because the waters were bitter there and they could not drink them. And the scripture says that they took a tree and they cast it into the waters and the bitter waters were made sweet. It's a picture of the fact that we all have bitter lives. We've been in bondage to sin. We've suffered pain. We've suffered confusion. There's great bitterness from what we've dealt with in our lives, in our past. And when we come through, we're struggling with that bitterness. And the scripture says, but if, the, if we will cast the tree of the cross of Jesus Christ into that bitterness, he will make those bitter waters sweet. He wants to heal our broken hearts in the midst of this. And Magdalene is interesting because Magdalene means to grow and become great. Jesus is saying, I want to heal you in the midst of your bitterness, in the midst of your rebellion, in the midst of your darkness darkness and I want to make you grow. I want to cultivate a new garden in you and I want to make you become great. And, and he wanted to do that in Mary's life. And he was on, he honored Mary because she was the first to see the, the risen Jesus. But one thing we've got to understand about Mary is that she had a difficult life. She had a lot of pain. She was a tormented woman before she met Jesus. In Luke chapter eight, it says specifically in verse one through three, now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. 
and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. Now this says that he went about with his disciples proclaiming the kingdom of God. See, when he went into a city where these women were, it says that there was these women, there were other people obviously everywhere that he went, and it says they dealt with infirmities, they dealt with sicknesses, and they also dealt with evil spirits, and, and he coupled evil spirits in with infirmities. Now, I'm not saying that every sickness or disease is, 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 is demonically inspired, but I believe at the root of it that sin, sickness, and death comes from the demonic. It comes from darkness, the spirits of darkness and the powers of darkness. And, and sometimes I've, I've seen in my own life and in my own ministry that people have been demonized. People have been oppressed and tormented, and it ended up being leading them to mental uh, mental issues and, and, and when they were delivered from it they were healed they were healed physically and we have to understand that sometimes we're dealing with spiritual issues that ultimately only Jesus can heal even in our lives right now the sickness that we're dealing with we don't have the answer for so many of the sicknesses that we're dealing with and we have to believe that in the midst of sickness and suffering and things that we do not have an answer for medically that Jesus can step in and that he can still bring healing mentally and emotionally and also physically that he has that kind of a power but he proclaims the kingdom of God as if to say when he comes see all sickness is healed because he's saying in my kingdom in my kingdom there is no sickness the dead are raised because he says in the kingdom of God there is no death the people that are suffering and dealing with demonic torment they're set free and delivered because in the kingdom of God there is no demonic fear there is no torment and he is proclaiming that kingdom and in the same way as Christian people we are called to proclaim that same kingdom. Now we live and we proclaim a kingdom that is already, but it's not yet. What does that mean? It means that when we proclaim this kingdom of God, we expect people to experience deliverance and salvation and healing and restoration and freedom from their fear and peace abundant and all of these things in their life. But it only comes in measure because every healing is only partial and fragmentary until Jesus brings his kingdom in its fullness. And then when that kingdom comes, there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. He will have established his rule and reign, but see his kingdom is breaking in among us now. And we have to believe, we have got to pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom break in in our midst right now where people are suffering, where people are dying, where people are in pain bring resurrection life, bring healing, bring deliverance and heal people in their pain and in their struggling. See, Jesus takes a woman that's full of bitterness and pain from her past. Her hopes have been shattered and the one person who changed her life and set her free, it says that out of, out of Mary went seven demons. Can you imagine the torment that she was dealing with? She, she meets Jesus. She realizes the love that Jesus has for her. He sets her free. He gives her new life. And this is why at his death, she doesn't care about it anymore. She goes, she goes to the cross. She's at his feet weeping with, with, with Jesus' mother and with John the disciple. She doesn't care if she ends up dying with him because she has, she's met the one who is able to set her free and give her hope of eternal life. And somehow or another, though, Jesus' death shocked them all. They weren't ready for it and, and, and she was at the tomb weeping because she thought they had carried 
this body away. And Jesus shows up in the midst of that garden, in the midst of that death, in the midst of that darkness. And he begins to say, you know, I brought the kingdom of God into your life, Mary, when I set you free and I delivered you and I gave you life. I put my kingdom on the inside of you. But now you can look at my scars. You can look at my hands and feet and, and, and my glorified body. And you can look and understand that there is a kingdom that is going to soon come in its fullness. He's proclaiming the kingdom that is already here, but it's not yet. And we look forward to that day when he finally, finally brings it. Now, Mary, this impacted her. Jesus impacted Mary. And it says, see, that these women, they provided Jesus from their substance. How can you tell a person has truly encountered Jesus? The way you can tell a person has truly encountered Jesus is by their commitment. These women followed Jesus around wherever he went. And they weren't receiving from Jesus anymore. They were going and they were ministering to Jesus out of their substance. So many people say, well, I, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But how you can tell a person has really encountered Jesus is that they have fully committed their lives to serve Jesus. And right now he calls us to that same thing. But here's the thing. I know just like Mary, many of us are overwhelmed. We're dealing with pain. We're dealing with confusion. What we thought was going to happen doesn't seem to be happening. And Jesus is coming right in your pain to say, I want to bring healing. I want to bring freedom. I want to bring peace in the midst of your bitterness. I want to heal your broken heart. And I want to become your tree of life. I know your hope has been set aside, but I'm planting new seeds and I'm giving you new direction. I'm giving you new wisdom in this season. The third thing that Jesus does, the third note I want you to put down in your notes there is, is that Jesus is planting seeds of peace, purpose, and presence. Mary goes and she speaks to the disciples and Jesus is going to go speak to his, his disciples. And in John 20, he does, he appears to them. And it says in verse 19 through 23, it says, Then the same day... At evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Notice this. They were now assembled, the disciples were, they had the doors shut for fear of the Jews. It's the same thing that's going on in our world today. We've got our doors shut. Nobody's coming into the church. Nobody's coming into our homes. And it's really because we have a fear of death. We have a fear of sickness that is, that is running rampant throughout the world. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us doing that. We believe it's wise to be careful and to stay safe. We, we, we're for that. But the point is, is that we can relate to what the disciples were going through at this time in our time right now. And Jesus came and he stood in the midst and he said to them, peace be with you. Now, Jesus could have showed up and said anything. He could have showed up and rebuked them and said, boys, what are you doing here afraid? I showed you for three and a half years that I had the power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do all these things. And I told you after I demonstrated these miracles, I told you that I was going to be crucified and I was going to be raised again from the dead on the third day. And here you all are doubting and fearing and wondering what in the world's going on, locked up in a room, scared to death that they're going to kill you too. He could have said those things, but no, see, Jesus is merciful and he comes to us even when we're afraid, even when we don't understand, because I know so many Christians right now, they're dealing with fear. I talk to people and, and they're dealing with different anxieties and different struggles and loss. And Jesus is not coming to condemn you to say you should be a better Christian than that. No, he's coming in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your fear to say peace be with you. And when he had said this in verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side and 
In those times, there were sometimes sects that would, uh, or, or, or divisions of groups of men that would go out and they would fight for a cause against the Roman Empire and different things like that. And sometimes, if the, if you, in order to demonstrate to them that you were completely loyal to the cause, you would have to show them the scars on your back that you've suffered because of the fights that you've been in. And Jesus is essentially showing up and saying, look at my scars. I'm completely committed to the cause. I'm completely loyal to you. I have, I have given my life and I've come after... After I've given my life to encourage you and let you know that the plan, everything I've taught you, everything I've spoken to your life, it's not over. Something is still here and I am committed to you. I am committed to the cause. And it says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In verse 21, so Jesus said to them, peace to you once again. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So notice they're they're in their upper room locked. The door's locked. They're living with an immense sense of anxiety, fear, and despair, the same way that we are. I wrote a definition down for anxiety this week just because I know that people are dealing with anxiety and we've been thinking a lot about it. But anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, we all have that. We're uncertain about what's going to happen in the future. We think about our government. We think about our economy. We think about what's going to happen with this sickness, what's going to happen with our jobs, what's going to happen with our life as we know it. We're uncertain about this outcome, and there's a fear. There's there's an unease that comes in with that. But here's what's so crazy about the world that we live in is even before this all happened and the coronavirus broke out in our world and things radically changed, we already lived in, in a world of anxiety. All of the time I was dealing with people that were dis- struggling with immense fear, fear of death, fear of sickness, fear of failure, fear of what was to come in the future, fear of all of these things, and it gave them deep senses of anxiety. Uh, I read where, where the World Health Organization says that over 300 million people globally have actually been diagnosed with some kind of anxiety, dis- anxiety disorder. And medications for depression and for anxiety are constantly on the rise. Book sales dealing with fear and anxiety, if you look at the statistics, are constantly on the rise, have been for the past five years. And so before this even happened, we were already dealing with a world that is in ang- was in anxiety. And our society is actually in a desperate pursuit. And at- drug companies are making big money right now off of pills and drugs or, or, or something to bring a solution to your anxiety, to your fear, to your worry, all of those things. And, and maybe, maybe those things, I don't know, maybe those things have a, have a place at times. Maybe there are, are ways that we can learn to cope with that throughout the world. But see, the world defines anxiety one way. The world defines anxiety or, or, or they define peace, I should say, as freedom from disturbance or tran- tranquility. See, we're, look, we're desperately looking for peace. We search for it using anything. And sometimes when we can't find it, we look to drugs. We look to alcohol. We look to something to bring some kind of peace, but it never really brings it. We're in a desperate pursuit. 
And the world says, you know what? What peace really is, is, is it's, it's freedom from dis disturbance and it's tranquility. But what, if we look at the world, we would be crazy to believe that we would actually ever at this point find freedom from any disturbance. Matter of fact, we're probably going to see an increase in the amount of disturbances and chaos in our world. Our world is chaos. We live in a, in, in a, in a warfare. Everything is broken loose. Everything is out of whack. And, and it's going to continue to be. But see, here's what Jesus promised you. Jesus did not promise you that this world would be peaceful, that everything would go well for you. He didn't promise you those things. He said that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What he's offering you is not a peace that gets rid of all your circumstances. He's not offering you a peace that says, you know what? The economy is going to be okay. Your money's going to be okay. Your future's going to be okay. Your family's going to be okay. You're going to live out the American dream. No, that's not the peace. That's not the promise that he offers. What he offers is that this world is breaking down and this world is falling and things could get bad and you may suffer tribulation. But what you can know is that this world is not your final resting place. This world is not your home. You are a stranger and a pilgrim passing through and I have a kingdom set up for you. And no matter what happens to you in this world, I have given you this life for a purpose to reflect my glory, to reflect my love, to reflect my wisdom, and I will bring you through no matter what difficulty you go through. I'll bring you out on the other side better. I will show you the way, and I will give you a peace that passes all understanding. See, even the world in Jesus' time, Rome, they wanted to bring peace. But their idea of peace, it was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But their idea of peace was, you know what, we're going to bring the peace to the whole globe. What we'll do is we'll infiltrate countries and we'll tell them either bow down to us or we'll burn you down. And that's what these countries would do. And in those times, Israel was actually under Roman rule. But see, that's a peace that comes from the world. And see, Jesus comes to us. I, I believe this with everything that's in me is that it's, it's when we deal with darkness, when we deal with times where we're struggling with fear or anxiety, that Jesus comes to speak a new peace into us. With His disciples in John 14, 27, Jesus said this. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now Jesus is saying, Look, I'm giving you a peace that's nothing like what the world gives. The world gives you a peace that, that, is, that, is, that is very shallow, that is not lasting. But he said, I give you a peace that it's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on the world's economy. It's not based upon whether everybody's healthy or not. It's a peace that transcends those things because it's rooted in a heavenly and an eternal kingdom. And he says, it's not like this world gives you, but it's a peace that passes all understanding. Matter of fact, the scripture says in Philippians 4, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't have anxiety about anything, but in everything give thanks and let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding. You don't understand why you have it. It doesn't make sense based on what's going on in the world, but it comes in and it guards your heart and it guards your mind in Christ Jesus. And you're wondering, how, what is this peace of God that transcends, that transcends all understanding, that transcends every circumstance in my life? And Jesus is saying, look, I'm coming to give you that peace, but your role to play in this is that you do not let your heart be troubled and you do not let it be afraid. The enemy will come to use circumstances in our world 
to use great fear in order to bind you up and keep you from focusing on God, the only one who can bring you peace in these times. When Jesus comes and He brings this peace, we said that He comes to bring peace, purpose, and His presence to His disciples. And our role is, like He said, to not allow our hearts to be troubled or to be afraid, but to push back those lies that we are believing and to believe in God's Word and to receive His peace. Oftentimes, fear and anxiety comes from a wrong perspective and believing a lie that this world has trained us to believe. Jesus comes and He brings us truth in the midst of that in order to give us that peace. Now, God is completely committed to us, and He's completely committed to His disciples. And when we start talking about peace, I'm not talking about a naive, childlike, shallow type of peace where we just say peace. Let me tell you something. Real peace that comes from Jesus is hard fought. You have to fight for that peace. You have to work for that peace. It is a peace that has to be cultivated. When, it came, when Jesus comes into that upper room and they are uh, dealing with fear and they're dealing with anxiety and He says, peace be unto you, it's not, it's not in a sense that just a wave of supernatural peace comes over them, but it's, but it's this sense that, okay, Jesus has come to bring this peace. He's come to bring my mindset into another place and, and He's trying to show me a truth that is greater than the current lie that I'm believing. Leaving, and he's telling me to partner with that, to cultivate that peace, to believe in something greater, to believe in his resurrection, to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and not allow my circumstances to infect my heart with trouble, to infect my heart with fear. I've got to fight for this peace. See, there's, a, there's an author, Fyodor Dostoevsky. He said this, this quote. He said, Therefore, it is not like a child that I believe in Christ and profess faith in Him. But rather, my Hosanna comes through the great crucible of doubt, as the devil says in that same novel of mine. In other words, he's saying, even when the devil is coming out at me and saying all these things, he's saying, the, my faith in Christ, my peace that comes from God, he said, it doesn't come to me just ever so effortlessly and easily. He says, no, matter of fact, the peace that I have and the faith, faith that I now have in Christ has come through the great crucible of doubt. It has come through trials where I have wrestled with fears. I've wrestled with doubts. I've questioned whether or not God was even here. I've questioned at times whether or not there even was a God. I've questioned whether or not God has my best interest in mind. I've questioned whether or not God will protect me. But see, he is saying that it's actually in that doubt, fighting with those fears, wrestling with those questions, that all of a sudden true faith, true peace was cultivated. True faith was forged in the crucible of doubt. So see, don't feel bad about the fact that you've got fears, that you've got anxieties, that you've got doubt, but fight to grab a hold of the peace that Jesus is offering you and push back against the world, push back against the enemy, enter into spiritual warfare and grab a hold of the promises of God and know that Christ is with me right now and He is forging faith in me. He is planting seeds of hope in me. He's bringing new life and He's bringing a new perspective. He is releasing peace in the midst of my chaos. Secondly, He came to bring them purpose. He said to them, listen, boys, it's not just about you being peaceful and sitting on your couch and relaxing, even though, you know, that would be great. It would be nice if we had nothing to think about. We could just sit at home in our quarantine and be at peace. You know, I would just love to have that. But see, he says, it's not just about peace. He says, I come to give you peace because you have a purpose. And as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. 
And right now in the time of darkness, just like we quoted at the beginning, see, when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, God says to the church, arise and shine. Because in the midst of that darkness, that is exactly when the light of the glory of God is going to arise upon you if you will arise and step into the moment and realize that you are the light of the world in the midst of darkness. You have healing in the midst of death and sickness. You have wisdom in the midst of chaos and fear. You have what God needs you to have. And he's saying, I'm sending you forth the same way that the Father sent me to bring salvation. You have got to go and declare the gospel. But you know what keeps us back from our purpose is fear. We're afraid to speak to people about Jesus. We're afraid to step out and love those that are broken and hurting and in need. And God is saying, no, you've got a purpose. You have got to step out in faith. You've got to drown those fears. And you've got to begin to go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring peace to a, to a chaotic and a fearful world and bring salvation and healing to, to those that do not know God. Thirdly, he brings peace, he brings purpose, and then he brings his presence to them. Because at that moment after he says, as I'm sending you as the Father sent me, it says that he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we know in the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve, He breathed into them the breath of life. What Jesus is saying is now you are a new creation. As God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, I'm recreating you and you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But see, you're not alone anymore. Now, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And the same way Jesus is saying that I was able to heal the sick and, and do the miracles that I did, it was all through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now I'm giving you this same power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to dwell in you. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance that I've spoken to you. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to lead you into all truth. And He's going to give you a boldness to proclaim the gospel and live the life that I've called you to live, even in the midst of persecution and hardship and tribulation. You have a power of the Holy Spirit and you have my presence with you and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I won't just be standing here beside you. I will now live on the inside of you through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overcame their greatest fear so they could fulfill their greatest purpose. And if you will allow Him to, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. I believe He'll come to you right now and the presence of God will fill your living room and He'll bring you peace and He'll bring His presence and He'll bring you comfort and He'll say, look, I've got this thing. I can give you direction where you need it. I can open doors where you need it in order to bring you through and you can fulfill the purpose that I have for you. Now, here's, here's my last point, number four. Jesus is planting seeds of love and restoration. And the story that I want to share in this last little, little part here is that Jesus comes to deal with Peter. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about Peter this last When I watched The Passion of the Christ, I was reading uh, the, the, the stories in the Gospels of the Crucifixion and the Resurrection. And I was reading about Peter, man, and I, I just got to thinking about Peter, about how he failed the Lord miserably. I mean, he boasted in the fact at the dinner table at the Lord's Supper. He, he said, Lord... I'll follow you even unto death. And he boasts in his love and in his own strength and his ability to perform and do uh, the, the will of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him tenderly and he says, Peter, I tell you, 
this day that before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And that night he goes out and while Jesus is being tried before his crucifixion, surely they say, this man is a Galilean. He was with them. And Peter three times denies, even to the point of cursing a, a little girl that, that is speaking to him. And at that point on the third time, the rooster crows. And as he does, he denies Jesus and, and Jesus looks at him and he sees him. And it says that Peter goes out and who weeps bitterly. Have you ever been in a situation where you failed the Lord, where you feel like, man, I, I just, I have really let the Lord down in this situation, and it begins to infect your soul? I believe that Judas, it infected his soul so badly that it brought him to an end. And I believe some people have, have experienced failure in their life. They've, they've, they've made bad decisions, and they've, they've done things that, that, that they just can't get over. The guilt, the shame eats them up, and, and it makes them move away from the Lord. It makes them move away from their purpose. They wonder, they question whether or not God still has anything for them. And can you, can you imagine what he's dealing with while he's in the upper room? Because most of us, sometimes I even have Bible verses that torment me. And I imagine at that point, Peter had a Bible verse that was tormenting him because Jesus told them, hey, whoever denies me before men, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. I imagine that scripture is tormenting Jesus in them, or tormenting Peter in his mind as he's thinking about Jesus saying that and he's wondering, man, is, is Jesus going to deny me before the Heavenly Father because I denied Him these three times. You can only imagine the pain that He's going through in, the, in this time. And in John 21, I love it because Peter, he's went back to fishing, back to his regular old job before Jesus called him. He's given up. He's saying, you know what? Maybe I just need to go back to fish and do what I'm good at. And He's out fishing and Jesus walks up on the shore and he looks out at the guys and he begins to speak to them. And John 21, verse 5 through 7, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, notice that, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. And he plunged into the sea and he swam to shore. Now, if you read these scriptures, John obviously wrote the book of John. And in the book of John, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is very interesting. He calls himself that a few times. But there's a differentiation in the book of John between Peter and between John. And Peter's name, it literally means in the Greek Petros, it means rock or stone. And Jesus, that's why he said to him, Simon, your name is Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And John's name, Yahanin, in Hebrew, it actually means Yahweh is gracious, or it means God's grace. So you see the picture of the stone versus God's grace. It's kind of a differentiation between how we relate to God in the old covenant versus how we relate to God in the new. And Peter related to God in an old covenant mentality. It was all about his strength, his ability to keep the commandments, his ability uh, to not deny the Lord, his ability to go in his own strength and do what the Lord had called him to do. But see, at that night, rather than say anything about what Jesus had done for him, he said, you know what, Lord, I tell you what, here's how, here's how bad of an outfit I am. I will go with you even unto death. And John says nothing. John's a picture of God's grace. He's not saying anything. He's not boasting in anything. Yet he is only laying on Jesus's bosom, the scripture says, just resting in Jesus's love for him. Resting in that love for him. And as he's doing that, you see that differentiation, like I said, and 
I believe with John, we have to understand that there's a supernatural strength that is released when we stop trying to fulfill what God has called us to do in our own strength and our own efforts, and we simply fall back and we rest in the Lord's love for us. And, and I believe Jesus was trying to teach, teach, teach Peter that, and he does here in the end, Jesus restores Peter. Now, before I read John 21, verse 15 through 17 to you, I want to give you some background. I've, I've taught this a few times at our church, but there are four Greek words for love. And two of them specifically, one of them is agape. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's a love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. It's a love that Jesus demonstrated when he laid down his life for us. He says, greater, man has no lo greater love has no man than this, but that he laid down his life for his friends. That's agape. There's another type of love, though. It's called phileo. And this is a friendship love, a, a type of love where you just have affection for a friend. You may not lay your life down for them, but you feel this affection for your friend. And it's very interesting to know this because in John 21, verse 15 through 17, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he asked him, do you agape me? He said, Peter, do you love me? with a self-sacrificial love, the kind of love that you boasted about when you said that you would go with me even unto death, that you'd never deny me. And he said, do you love me more than these? At that point, a lot of, a lot of scholars say that he might have been counting the fish because they know based on scripture, it says that he had a, caught 153 fish. And, and he's maybe counting the fish. Maybe he's talking about the disciples. Either way, Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love your occupation? more than you love fishing, more than you love your livelihood, more than you love money, more than you love your future. Do you love me more than all those things? Do you love me more than the people around you? Now, Peter responds very strangely because he doesn't use the same word. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses the word phileo. You know I have an affection for you. Maybe it's not self-sacrificial, Lord, but you know I, I, have a, I care for you. And then he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you have that self-sacrificial love? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have an affection for you, phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Notice the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And now he stoops down on Peter's level and he changes the word and he says, do you phileo me? Do you just have a regular friendly affection, not the self-sacrificial godly kind of love that you boasted of before, before you denied me three times? And now it says that Peter was grieved because he had dropped to his level and said to him the third time, do you only have this friendly affection for me and not agape love? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I only have that kind of affection for you and not the agape love that I boasted of before. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, I believe what Jesus is saying to him more than anything, the point that I want to make as I finish is that your, fail, your failure does not cancel your calling. Your failure never cancels your calling. We are weak. We are broken. Jesus knows that better than anybody. And when Jesus comes to us, when Jesus comes to Peter, 
Peter is broken. He feels terrible about what he's done. But Jesus is so intentional about letting you know how much that he loves you and restoring you. He wants to restore you regardless of what you have done, regardless in how you have failed. He says, my purpose, my plans have not changed for you. My calling has not changed for you. Let me restore you. And this is the reason why Jesus asks him that three times because Peter denied him three times and that haunted his soul. And Jesus needed to erase that. That, that. that rooster crowing had been haunting his dreams from that third denial. And three times Jesus allows him to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. But see, the other thing he's doing is he's correcting the way he thinks about his love for God. Because our love for God is not about really how much we love God. It's about understanding how much he loves us. It's not about depending upon our own strength to fulfill what God is calling us to do. You're not going to get through this next season of life. You're not going to overcome the fear. You're not going to overcome the doubt. You're not going to overcome your anxiety until you quit striving and you are able, like John, to just lean and rest on God's love for you and realize that I don't have enough strength to love God the best way that I possibly can. I need to understand and I need to rest in God's love for me. And that is where you're going to find supernatural strength in the days of head to to get through when you finally come to a place where you rest in God's love for you your calling is not canceled Jesus wants to bring that love to you he wants to bring that restoration and he wants to sustain you through this now he ended up warning Peter of his death he said look when you were young you went where you wanted to go you did what you wanted to do but the days are going to come Peter when people are going to take you and they're going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go But see, Peter left that day. He was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Peter that was locked in a room for fear of the Jews comes out with a holy boldness filled with the power of God. And he preaches the gospel boldly. And 3,000 people are saved on the day of Pentecost to the same group of people that just had Jesus crucified 50 days earlier. 3,000 are saved. He, he declares the gospel throughout Jerusalem. He ends up going to Rome to preach the gospel. And when he's in Rome, finally at the end of his journey, at the end of his life, because of his faith in Christ, he is being led away to be crucified for his faith in Christ. And he says to them, do not crucify me standing up. He says, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like my Lord died. And see, Peter had now received a peace that transcended all understanding. You got to have a peace that transcends understanding that conquers this world to be able to say calmly in that situation, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Peter knew the one that was able to raise him up. He had been with him. He had sensed his presence in the dark times. He knew his presence was with him even when he was facing death. He knew of a kingdom and a reality that was greater, that was beyond the kingdom of this world that's now coming to an end. And his faith was rooted in that. And he had strength. And right now, I just want to pray for you as we close that Jesus would come right where you're at to deal with you, to speak to you, to bring healing and sow seeds of healing as a new gardener, to plant into this garden right now where it seems like nothing good is growing. I I believe God is going to plant good seed right now. He wants to plant healing. He wants to plant peace, purpose. He wants to give you his presence. He wants to demonstrate His love to you and He wants to bring restoration. So Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, I pray that your Spirit would draw them to you right now. 
Lord, that they would repent of their sins, that they would confess you as Lord, that they would declare you as Lord. And just like Mary did, God, that they would commit their lives to you, Lord, and let it be made known that they are followers of you. And God, even where they failed, even where we have failed, Lord, we know that there is restoration available. We know that, God, you come to pour your love out, even in the midst of our darkness and in the midst of our failures, to bring restoration and to bring us back to our calling. And God, right now, there's so many people that are dealing with anxiety, that are dealing with fear, uncertain about the future. But Lord Jesus, release peace, we pray, right now into their hearts. Bring salvation and bring the peace that comes through that salvation, God, and guard their hearts and their minds right now, Lord. And God, release your presence to every family, to every person. Release your presence and God, restore them to purpose. Help us to realize, God, you've called us to rise up and shine like lights, to love people, to, to proclaim the gospel, to point people to the peace of Jesus during this time. And so, Lord, we pray that that healing, that that peace, that it would be released right now into every home. God, we're grateful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that even in the midst of this darkness, Lord, you're planting seeds of hope and resurrection life. And I pray that you'd release that into people's hearts this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us, for being with us this morning. We love you so much. We, we, we miss you badly. Know that we are praying for you. And I pray that over this next season, just like they did, Jesus was appearing for 40 days to his disciples and different people. I believe that during this time of darkness, if we will seek the Lord, that he will appear to us in different ways. He will reveal himself to us in different ways. And he's going to do something fresh and new in our hearts. And that's what we hope for. We believe that God is going to bring us through this. But it's through this crucible of doubt. It's through this crucible of a trial, of, a, of affliction, of pain, of, of uncertainty. that he's going to change us. He's going to give us new hope. He's going to show us the direction. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.